Greetings, everyone. It's so good to be with you today. Thanks for joining us at Christ Church Online. Today, I'm going to be coming from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. We're going to be taking a look at verses 9 through 12 today. I'd like to pray before I speak, so would you join me in prayer today? Father, we're so grateful again for this opportunity to dive into your word. God, I pray that as we look at these words, may they leap off the page into our hearts. Challenge us, encourage us today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been following us for the past few weeks, you know that we've been in a series on having a renewed mind. And we've been looking into some very practical topics, such as how to stop worrying and how to deal with loneliness. And I want to continue the conversation today as we talk about the topic, the gift of community. Research has shown that the stress of living through the pandemic has greatly increased in the number of people who are struggling with mental health issues such as anxiety and depression. In fact, in a special issue of the American psychologist, Dr. Christine Shetner makes the case for psychological scientists to begin to work together to make close relationships a public health priority. Based on the effects of social isolation and loneliness that we are experiencing to, in our world today. But on the flip side of that, research also su suggests that social connections not only give us pleasure, but they influence our long-term health. Studies have shown that people who have satisfying relationships with family, with friends, with their community are much happier. They have fewer health problems and they live longer. The Bible is also not silent on this topic. The Bible speaks to this idea of community in the book of Ecclesiastes, Chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Let's take a look at the text. It reads this way. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The book of Ecclesiastes is referred to in the Hebrew as Koheleth. It means gatherer, one who gathers proverbs or one who gathers people in order to teach them. And if you've ever been through the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll notice that it presents us with a very naturalistic view or vision of life. We see that there are times when nothing makes sense to the author here because he's tried a number of different remedies like pleasure, like work, like intellect to alleviate the sense of feeling lost in this world but nothing seems to ultimately satisfy. We're living in a society now that encourages autonomy and independence and individuality. But the truth is, 
We are all hardwired for connection. It's what gives us purpose. It's what gives us meaning to our lives. And community is truly a gift. And maybe you're watching today and you're not sold on this idea of community, not sure, maybe based on your experiences, perhaps you've been hurt by community, you experience pain in community, and you don't even see the value of community anymore. And I don't want to minimize that, what you may have been through, but I also don't want to leave you in that place. And so I want to pose three questions for us today based on our text that I believe will help us discover, and for some of us, maybe even rediscover the gift of community and its benefits. Question number one, who's working with you? Let's go back to the text. Verse number nine, it reads this way. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Now, generally speaking, we understand this. Two are better than one because two can get more done than one. If I need to build a fence in my backyard, uh, I'm not gonna do it alone. I'm gonna get other people involved. One, because I have no idea what I'm doing. And two, we're gonna be able to get it done much faster. So that's why he says there's a good reward for their labor. We understand this. $200 is better than $100. Having two vehicles is better than having one vehicle. But he's not speaking about the number of possessions that we have or even the number of people that, we had, that he had around him. He had these things. But in the midst of his pursuits, he found that he did not have quality relationships with the few people that were around him. This is what he missed, despite the many projects that he was able to complete. And so he's making the case for living and laboring in partnership as part of a team, as part of a community. He's speaking about this synergy of the spirit that happens when people are living with the same common purpose. They're living not in the context for themselves, but for the good of the whole. And so God has given us this wisdom that two is better than one. And we can experience this synergy of the spirit and work in our lives if we choose to live our lives in that way. And I've noticed that when I'm faithful in this, when I trust God to prosper me in this, and I don't try to do everything alone by myself, somehow, some way, a greater return always shows up in any given situation. Even if it comes in the form of a miracle, it always happens because God is faithful to his promise. Have you ever watched the reality TV show, The Amazing Race? It's one of my favorite shows to watch. If you've ever seen the show, you'll notice that one of the things that you see is that no one runs the race alone. There are teams of two that run together. Sometimes the team is a husband and wife. Sometimes it's siblings. Sometimes it's friends. And they're running this race all over the world, competing in different challenges against other teams for the reward of the prize money. And the main thing that you want, you want to, to not happen is to be the last one to show up at the checkpoint. And this race is fun to watch. It's full of adventure, intrigue. You get to witness the teams go through stressful moments and go through joyful moments. And you get to experience this full range of emotions while watching them run this race. 
Now, I've never ran the amazing race. However, if you're a CBS executive and you are looking for a good team, my wife and I can do this. You can uh, contact me that way. Uh, but we have the experience. My wife and I took part in the amazing Cozumel race. When we were back in 2019, we were on vacation. We took a cruise to Cosmo, Mexico, and our excursion for that particular day was to take part in the amazing Cosmo race. It's something I saw. I was like, oh, absolutely, I want to do this. Now, we didn't travel all over the world or anything like that, but we did travel uh, throughout Cosmo. And the way it worked when we showed up at our, at our beginning uh, launch point with all these other teams are starting to arrive, the, the hosts of the race come and they're giving us instructions and what we can do and what we can't do, et cetera. And if you've ever seen this show before, one of the first things they do is they give you this envelope, right? And you get to, the teams just rip open the envelope. They start reading the first clue. And our first thing that we needed to do was go to the marketplace that was next door and find a particular store. And this particular person that was working at the store had a clue for us. And now I don't speak any Spanish. My wife speaks a little bit of Spanish. And so that was a benefit for us. We were able to locate this particular store eventually uh, after talking to people and having them help us. Uh, we got there and we found our next clue. And on and on this event kind of went. It was about a two-hour excursion. And one other particular uh, challenge that we had, we ran to this dock. We jumped on a boat. They took us out to uh, a certain point in the water where there was a shipwreck under the water. And one of us had to jump in the water dive down, read off the name of the boat and relay it back to our partner who was still on the boat. Guess which one of us did that? Right here. And so I jumped down there and I'm reading off and I get the information back to Kelly. Then we hop back to the dock and we're running across town. We had to get to a, a monument that had an inscription on it. And then we kind of had to, it was like a puzzle. We had to kind of figure out certain wordings and various things like that. So Kelly handled that. And it was here that I that term two being better than one really elevated again in my life because I handled a lot of the physical challenges because I'm a little bit stronger and she handled all the mental challenges because she's much smarter than me. And so we understood this idea of being two being better than one. And we were experiencing this synergy of the spirit because we had one goal as a team and we got to experience this great return as a result. So why is two and better than one? Because you get to have a greater return. And as you can see on the screen right now, we took first place in the amazing Cozumel race because we had a, such a good team and we got to experience the reward of that synergy of the spirit that we had together. And so I've posed to you today this first question, who's working with you? Are you trying to do this thing called life all by yourself? Or are you trusting in God's plan that two are better than one? Secondly, you can experience the gift of community by answering the question, who's picking you up? Let's go back to the text, verse 10. It reads this way. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. You see, the original author here would have been very familiar with the tough terrain, with the crevices, with the pathways, with the roads, potholes, and various things that you experience when you're traveling, and what is now known as modern day Palestine. And many travelers at that time are not going to, were not traveling by themselves. They were traveling in pairs, or they were traveling in groups, or they were traveling by caravan for many different reasons, but one of those reasons being to avoid injury. 
Again, they're not walking in Nikes. They're not walking in uh, mountain boots and hiking gear. No, a lot of times they're walking in sandals, if not even barefoot. Now, I live in the Poconos. I like to go hiking on occasion, but you're never going to catch me hiking in my sandals. It's just not going to happen. I don't want to get hurt trying to hike. And so it's not a good idea. But the point that the author is trying to make here is that we all need someone in our life to help us out when we slip up and fall. Physically, absolutely. Emotionally, most definitely. Spiritually, without a doubt. Who in your life is calling you to the side when you make a mistake? Who is lovingly correcting you when you stumble and fall? Is there anyone in your life that's asking you these tough questions? Like, are you walking in integrity? Are your dealings honorable? And so I'm suggesting to you today, if we don't have someone like that in our life, we may be setting ourselves up for a fall. I'm so grateful though that we serve a God who picks us up when we fall. And maybe you're watching today and you're saying, you know what? I need that kind of relationship in my life. In fact, I need the relationship in my life. And you've never before accepted Jesus Christ into your life. I want you to know you can have that assurance. You can know that you know that you know you're in right relationship with God. I wanna give you an opportunity to accept Christ at the end of my talk today and know that you know that you know you're right where you need to be. Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 reads this way. Therefore, see that you walk carefully, living life with honor, purpose, and courage, shunning those who tolerate and enable evil, not as the unwise, but as the wise, sensible, intelligent, discerning people. So one of the things we know is that the wise walk with others. The unwise walk alone. And if you're walking alone today, what are you doing about your blind spots? Each and every single one of us have blind spots in our lives, those things that we don't see. And if someone doesn't come alongside of us to let us know about it, we could stumble and fall. For some of us, it could be going at it alone. Maybe you're too proud or too afraid to ask for help. For some of us, it could be being insensitive of how our behavior affects other people, unaware of how you come across. It could be having an I know attitude, valuing being right above everything else. It could be blaming others or your circumstances, playing the victim, refusing responsibility, whatever it may be, I'm suggesting to you that we will never notice it unless we have a passenger in our life calling out those blind spots for us that can help us not stumble and fall. I remember back in 2012 as a youth pastor in the state of Florida, I was speaking on a particular Sunday. And this is one of those kind of youth Sundays where the youth handle a lot of the portion of the service and the youth pastor speaks uh, on a topic about the next generation. 
And that particular Sunday, our congregation was an older congregation. And I began to speak and share just about the state of youth ministry, what teenagers are going through and how others can get involved and get help, come alongside as mentors uh, in their lives to really help them on their journey. And everything went well, to my knowledge. After the service, an older gentleman comes up to me and he says, you know, that was a good message. He said, maybe even one of the best messages on the topic that I've ever heard. He said, but I noticed the amount of you statements used instead of we statements. You statements implies that the listener is responsible for something. And it's more likely that the listener feels defensive, resentful, and less likely to receive when I'm using an excessive amount of you statements. Now, this was unsolicited advice, but his point was well taken and well received. As I was driving home that particular Sunday afternoon, I started thinking to myself, and man, did everybody feel that same way? Did I just bash an entire older generation? And I felt bad about this. But at the end of the day, I knew that was a growth moment for myself through that experience. And from that experience, I would oftentimes go back to this gentleman on occasion and run things by him before I spoke again, because I didn't want to come across in any way that was unintended. And so I began to develop more we statements in my communication. We statements invokes a collective responsibility that we're all in this together. I'm not placing the blame on you for something. And so that increasingly helped me grow in that particular, particular area. But I would have never have noticed it if he had not come up to me and made that statement. And so I want you to see that we are not designed to grow on our own. We need other individuals to come alongside of us, to pick us up when we fall, when we make a mistake, so that we can grow into who God wants us to be. And so I've given you the first question. Who's working with you? Are you trying to do this thing all on your, by yourself, all alone? Or are you trusting in the promise that two is better than one and you can have a greater reward as a result? Second question, who's picking you up? Who's keeping you accountable when you stumble and fall? Who can you trust, who can you trust sharing your struggles, your fears, your doubts with and know that they're gonna walk with you in? And third and finally, we can experience the gift of community by answering the question, who's building you up? Let's go back to the verse, verse 11. It reads this way. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Again, the original author here would have been very familiar with travel. That certain times on cold nights, on a long journey, that they would need to get close together. If they couldn't reach their destination or reach an end to stay in, they would have to set up camp in the middle of nowhere, and that if they didn't get together, uh, they could get cold. So they use their body temperature to warm themselves. And as we live in this cold world at times, who doesn't need the warmth of encouragement? 
Who doesn't need someone in their life that can remind them of their purpose, of their calling, of their gifting? Those individuals that can uh, see you and things in you that you can't even see in of of yourself. We need these kind of people in our lives. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25 reads this way. We should keep on encouraging each other to be thoughtful and to do helpful things. Some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. You see, the early church understood this concept, meeting with other like-minded believers regularly for the purpose of spiritual growth. When we come together and begin to share our lives with others and begin to boast on the finished work of Christ, excitement begins to build up. Encouragement begins to overflow in our lives onto one another. And the effects are contagious and the world takes notice. Shared successes, shared sorrows, not only give us greater encouragement and it's edifying, it's how we're called to live our lives in this world. You see, it's not only on this side of eternity that community is the central focus. It will be this way for all eternity in heaven. Our life will always, always be about community with God and community with others. I love the story that Martin Luther King Jr. shares about this encouraging word that he uh, had from a sister in Christ that gave him strength to press on during the civil rights movement. He says this, On a particular Monday evening, following a tension-packed week that included being arrested and receiving numerous threatening telephone calls, I spoke at a mass meeting. I attempted to convey an overt impression of strength and courage, although I was inwardly depressed and fear-stricken. At the end of the meeting, Mother Pollard came to the front of the church and said, come here, son. I immediately went to her and hugged her affectionately. Something is wrong with you, she said. You didn't talk strong tonight. And seeking to further disguise my fears, I retorted, Oh no, Mother Pollard, nothing is wrong. I'm feeling as fine as ever. But her insight was discerning. Now you can't fool me, she said. I've done told you that we're with you all the way. And then her face became radiant. And she said in words of quiet certainty, but even if we ain't with you, God's going to take care of you. And as she spoke these consoling words, everything in me quivered and quickened with the pulsing tremor of raw energy. Mother Pollard's words here were so powerful in that moment because she was discerning enough to see the needs of Dr. King's soul, but also bold enough to insist that he open himself up to receive the ministry of others. And so what does that look like for you today? Evaluate yourself for a moment. Ask yourself the question, 
Do I have people in my life that are answering these three questions? If not, let me share with you the type of people that you should be looking for. Somebody who's running at the same pace. That means someone who is like-minded, who is a like-minded believer. Someone that has similar goals. The same desire for community and for accountability. Someone that maybe their strength is your weakness. Secondly, somebody who's trustworthy. Somebody that will walk with you even when you fall. And they'll be there to pick you up. Someone that's gentle with your struggles, with your fears, with your doubts, but bold enough to speak the truth to you in love and encourage you to continue to press on. You know, and maybe this particular person is not some far off distant space that has never come into your life. Maybe this person is already in your life. Maybe you simply need to reframe people in your life. Maybe that friend or that colleague is actually a good candidate for an accountability partner. Maybe that, that boss or, or, or that friend could be reframed as a teacher, as a mentor in your life. It's up to us to go to these people, to communicate to them and say, you know what, would you be willing to help me in this particular area of my life? Would you be willing to come alongside of me, mentor me in this particular area I'm struggling in? It's a weak area for me. And this is tough. I get it. I've been there. I'm still there. It's tough because it involves risk. Risk is never easy. You're risking being rejected, not getting your needs met. And so it's tough. But can I tell you, that in the kingdom of God, the reward always outweighs the risk. The reward is simply this. You can experience transformation through your relationships, through community, through mentorship, through accountability. That's the gift of community. You know, this past year, 2021, into 2022, I've learned so much about why I need people in my life, why I need community, why I need accountability, why I need encouragement from people. This is not just three questions I'm posing to you that I haven't had to work through. These are three questions that I've had to answer for myself. Who's working with me? Who's picking me up? Who's building me up? You know, because I had an issue with thinking that I could do this all by myself. You know, a lot of this stems from my past, growing up without a father. Because of that, I learned to do things on my own, to be self-sufficient, to try to handle everything on my own. And that has carried with me my entire life into every aspect, every area of my life, marriage, career, whatever it may be. And I've wrestled with trying to do everything alone. 
that and struggling to find quality relationships around me. Yes, there's been people around me, but I've always settled for surface relationships. I've always had a hard time diving into quality relationships. And maybe you're watching today. Maybe you're in that same place as I was. I want you to know that God wants to set you free from that kind of thinking. We were never meant to do life alone. We're never created to live outside of community. And when we choose to live that way, it's as if we're refusing a gift that God wants to give us. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for individuals that are struggling in this area that I've been struggling in. Maybe you think you got it all figured out. This lone ranger mindset that I don't necessarily need someone in my life. Or maybe you're someone who struggled just connecting with people, getting involved with a community. And so you've never experienced the benefit of community. I want to pray for you today that God would surround you with individuals in your life so that you can experience this new life, this, the, the, the benefit, the value of community. Let me pray for you. Father, so grateful for your word today. Those individuals that may be watching online right now that are struggling in the area of relationships, in the area of community, whether they have this idea and attitude that they can do it all alone by themselves or they just struggle relationally, finding quality people to connect with. God, I pray that you begin to break that area over their lives, that you begin to set them free from that feeling and that kind of thinking. God, that you desire community for all of your people, for all of your children. There's so many things that you give us and that you bless us with through community that we will never experience by ourselves. And so I pray that you would strengthen every individual watching today, that you would begin to surround them with like-minded believers that will come alongside of them, that will be there to pick them up when they fall down, that will be there to, to build them up when, when they're hurting, when they need encouragement. God, would you just surround them today so that they can experience you in the way that you have designed them to. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name I pray. Amen and amen. Earlier in this message, I also mentioned that if you have never before accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, I was going to give you that opportunity. I want to do that with you right now. Would you say these prayer, this prayer after me? Say, Dear God, I ask that you come into my heart. Forgive me for all of my sins. Change me so that I may follow you all the days of my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Friend, if you just said that prayer with me, I want to congratulate you right now. In fact, on the screen and in the comment section, 
there's a link that you can follow to connect with us. It's called The Next Steps. It ha- it'll help you answer some questions about that decision that you just made. But I want to encourage you to get connected with others. Get connected in a community of, of like-minded believers. If you don't have a, a church home, find a local church that you can be a part of. Of course, you're always welcome here at Christ Church. If you're near, uh, nearby in the New, New Jersey area, come be with us as well. I want to thank you for making that decision. I want to thank everyone for joining us again today at Christ Church Online. I pray blessings over you that you would have an amazing week. In Jesus' name, amen.